0: This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at Pacificoffice.com. Looks right, throws a deep pass, right side, end zone, hits off, hits a touchdown, and the Cardinals continue to pour it on. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by the Arizona Cardinals Mobile App. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Arizona! The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Great move to the right at the 50. Cuts back to the left at the 40. He's loose at the 30. He's at the 20. The 10. Touchdown, Cardinals! Rise up and make a play. And what a hit! Oh, my goodness! He got crushed. You've got to be kidding me. Come off the ball with malice. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, there is one party that I feel sorry for here related to Kyler. Gentlemen, Paul Calvisi, Darren Urban, Kyle Odegaard, Paul, a parental unit, and I'll actually cite that uh, my son has it tough these days. Kyler making it tough on every wannabe quarterback. This is flag football, and I literally found myself and had to stop myself, Kyle, the other day because I had stopped the DVR and I was trying to explain to him how to make moves in the open field like Kyler Murray. And the wife was looking at me, and I hit the brakes on myself and said yeah okay uh let's just go back to you finishing your math homework okay because let's let's stay realistic right here but But I mean (laughs) that's the Kyler effect even at Casa Calvisi as we are still socially distanced here on Cardinals Underground is I find myself trying to tutor my flag football quarterback kid in the ways of quarterback like Kyler Murray see the thing is you could be showing that to like
1: wide receivers and that's still unrealistic for your best fastest most jukiest skill player and now you're talking (laughs) about guys wait 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 jukiest is that what you most jukiest okay all right just double that's a word right sure (laughs) and the fact that he can also throw the ball like he just did in this game it's it's unbelievable how good of a dual threat kyler murray is and i don't want to get too over my skis on this podcast but man considering what he's doing right now in his second year we might be talking about the best dual threat quarterback to ever play Whoa, you know, once, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> once? Well, who's get, better?
0: Who, who you, you guys, guys got?
2: got I mean, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm just saying when you start saying the best ever, I just 20, what are we, 24 games in, 21 games in, whatever it is. I mean, I just I'm I'm hesitant to start throwing that tag around already.
0: That's, who has it right you know? now, Russ? Who's number one? Steve Young, because he won a Super Bowl? I mean, Steve Young was
1: pretty dang good. I guess it depends how you qualify dual threats. Nobody's in Kyler Murray's stratosphere when it comes to his legs that can also throw like he can.
2: No, that's absolutely true. But again, I I feel like we're really early. I mean, knock on wood, obviously, I don't want to see anything happen to Kyler. But um, we got a long way to go before I'm ranking anybody as the best ever. I understand what you're saying. I mean, if he did this for 10 years, heck yeah. But we're we're a year and a half in, so... I'm not saying he's not unbelievable. I just, I, I'm super hesitant. Maybe it's my age. I,
1: don't I mean, like Pat, Mahomes, that. Pat Mahomes was only two years in when he won MVP, and I was pretty comfortable saying that this guy's going to be an all-time great. So that's where I feel like we're at with Kyler.
0: But mm-hmm. I, I do hit the hot take alert a little bit, Kyle, though, when you're saying no one's in his stratosphere. I mean, Steve Young did run a 4-4-something. Now, did they have design runs in that West Coast offense with, you know, George Seifert, who took over for Bill Walsh? No, but in terms of the legs and stratosphere, Steve Young was pretty darn athletic and pretty quick. I'm not going to say he exceeds what Kyler Murray has shown us so far in his young career, but I'd say, you know, to quote Mercury Morris, since the Cardinals just played the Dolphins, I mean, he's on the block. You know, don't call me till you're on my block, that whole Dolphins 72 championship rant that he went on. But (laughs) I think Steve Young is in the conversation there. And, And Lamar Jackson, albeit a different running style, uh, I think you could make a pretty good argument that in terms of being a running dual threat quarterback, Lamar Jackson's ability to run between the tackles is a different threat than, than Kyla Murray presents to a defense. I'll, you- I'll
2: say, I'll say this when it comes to this argument. And I, I mean, Kyle makes good points. Don't get me wrong. I mostly, I, I don't want to say I'm just playing contrarian. I, I, I just, I I get very freaked out when you start talking about, I mean, if you start saying he's the best dual threat quarterback ever in part, because uh, essentially there's really never been another real dual threat quarterback. That was that good. I mean, I don't know if the bar is very high then, Um, but I, I will say this, when you talk about Lamar Jackson, um, you know, again, we'll see where his running game goes. I just, I like how Kyler runs the ball way much more than Lamar Jackson. And I don't mean like style wise in terms of like, it looks cool. I'm just mean in terms of, I, I would be fearful, even if Lamar Jackson is a much bigger guy that eventually the hits will take their toll. I think we saw that with Cam Newton, um, I don't think Lamar Jackson runs exactly the same as Cam Newton, but Cam Newton took a lot of hits over the years. And I do think that physical toll is, is, is built up. And I don't think uh, Kyler Murray will be in that place. And I absolutely think that right now, after their short careers, unless Lamar Jackson starts trending much quicker upward than I would expect him to, Kyler Murray is going to be a better passer than Lamar Jackson. So, um, I would ultimately, if, if this season plays out the way it's playing out for both Jackson and, and Kyler, um, I, I think Kyler will have already kind of surpassed him as the overall dual threat. I'm not saying he's necessarily the better quarterback, um, but we're certainly headed in that direction.
1: You're right, Paul. I just did some quick research on Steve Young and apologies to him. His his yards per carry numbers are way better than I thought they were. So let me take back my hot take. I think Steve Young has that mantle. But with what Kyler Murray's skill set is, I think it's something that still quite hasn't been seen in the NFL. I think Michael Vick was, was very close. I don't think he had the same touch that Kyler Murray does. And I think Steve Young's arm is better but I'm not sure he has quite the legs that Kyler Murray does so I still think complete package Kyler Murray has that possibility
0: and what's tough with the Steve Young comp is that at 23 he wasn't an NFL quarterback he was in the USFL and then he had to sit behind Joe Montana and some of his most, most athletic years were spent on the bench with the 49ers but but even so, it was a heck of an opening drive by Kyle right out of the gates here on Cardinals Underground. <laughs> Office automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, boom, that was not three and out to start this edition of Cardinals Underground. If people were only going to
1: listen to five minutes, I wanted to make sure that they heard my juiciest take. <laughs> <That's right.
0: laughs> Kyle treated this like it's an ESPN first take, hot take show, where we're just doing an opening five-minute segment, and, and that's it. I will say this, yards per carry, though, that does lead us into Kyler and what he's doing for the cardinals rush game right kyle because the running backs aren't nearly as productive as a year ago but kyler is so productive that overall yards per carry is very similar to what was a team record a year ago
1: yeah it's higher than it was last season you're right it's been very kyler centric as far as getting that number to 5.2 yards per carry last year was 5.0 um, but it was a lot more balanced and kyler murray's at 7.1 yards per carry right now which easily easily leads the NFL and if you take away his kneel downs he's at 7.9 yards per carry so he's he's been super electric with his legs and that's why I I just had this discussion when he does that and when you look at what he did did throwing the ball I mean he was so good throwing it against a very good Miami defense that's why I'm you know very high on the the Kyler Murray train this week
0: at the same time Darren you say all right uh, the Cardinals running rushing yards per carry. So gaudy. I mean, it's, but because it doesn't have to do with the running backs as much. And then when you see chase Edmonds, our last recollection of a Cardinals running back was him getting stopped on fourth and one to what degree is that a concern right now, the run game and coming out of the backfield with the running backs?
2: Well, I mean, I guess I would have to really break it down with some coaches to know maybe what it is because it does it lie on where the blocking is, or is it lie on the fact that after last year, and watching Kenyon Drake run all over everybody. Defenses came in this year making sure that they were going to find a way to stop that part of it, and that's one of the reasons Kyler has had so much open space when he does his own read. I I will say this, Paul. I mean, obviously you want to have Chase Edmonds be more efficient when he was toting the ball against the Dolphins the other day, but the fourth and one play, um, there's been so much said about it. You know, why – Uh, why are you giving it to Chase Edmonds there? Why don't you keep it with Kyler Murray? Well, a couple different things. I know Cliff Kingsbury said on 98 7 Arizona Sports that the the hit that Kyler Murray took on third down right before that play made a difference a little bit in terms of making that other call. Um, because that was that might have been the heaviest hit Kyler's taken all season, and maybe you don't want to have him try and carry in a short yardage situation the very next play. The other thing, too, is well, there's a couple other things. One, if you watch the play again, if Josh Jones, the rookie offensive lineman, who's in there as a sixth uh, offensive uh, lineman on that play, if he just stalemates his guy because he gets pushed back, if he just stalemates his guy, Chase Edmonds gets that first down. There's enough of a of a place there that he didn't, but because jo- uh, Josh Jones got pushed back, it, it messed up that whole side. And I absolutely believe that play would have worked otherwise. And it wasn't as if Kyler on fourth down was perfect every single time the play before the 28 yard game. The the one was, that was offset. The dolphins were ready for him carrying the ball and he backed off and made that weird chuck down the field to Deandre Hopkins. And they were just lucky a pass interference was called. It was an offsetting penalty, but they got the second chance. But I mean, the dolphins were ready for Kyler Murray on fourth down. So it wasn't like, you know, Kyler Murray being a fourth down, a running back on that play would have automatically been it, and I just think that overall, getting back to the original point, the 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 running game needs to have a little bit more consistency. But I I don't know. Sometimes I feel like we're picking at some nits when we start talking about some of this stuff. I mean, this team had four hundred forty-two yards of offense uh, and fewer plays than they have been getting with sixty-nine. They scored thirty-one points. Um, I mean if their defense can just move a little bit more towards the average category, this isn't even a conversation.
0: You know the play I enjoyed almost the most in the entire game, and it was probably because of the failed fourth and one and some other you know, short uh, yardage situations, was when Tua got in under center and had the QB sneak on third and one to ice the game. There's just something, Kyle, and you're probably gonna have some analytics to make me look foolish, but there's something about having Third and one, fourth and less than one. And you're starting the play four or five yards deep in the shotgun. You're giving up that yardage before you ever go forward. And with Kyler's athleticism and his ability to get low and get in the A gap and just if nothing else, just squirm forward and get that half a yard that you need to get the first down. There's something I, when I watched Tua get under center, maybe the first time all game and they get the QB sneak dice the game. I just sort of nodded and said, man, if the Cardinals are going to steal a play off someone's playbook, and we're all Monday morning quarterbacks this week, I get it. But, you know, Cliff Kingsbury has no problem taking and lifting plays from, from other teams, and then he cites his sources as he likes to joke. That, I, I'd like to just see the first play ever created in the game of football, the QB sneak, be part of the arsenal for Kyler Murray.
1: Well, you'll be delighted to know that the analytics community loves the QB sneak on third and fourth and one. So they're right there with you. The numbers have and been crunched. It's a very effective play. I agree with you, and also I wonder about the Chris Streveler part of it, where he came in against San Francisco on third and one and ran a QB sneak, and it was successful. So I I, I thought that was uh, something that worked out well, and he's a bigger guy than Kyler Murray, so. Are you giving away a little bit of what you're doing when you're bring, bringing Chris Strebler? Yes and no, because they've run other stuff with him under center. Um, but I, I I, think that makes sense. I mean, he's a bigger body guy. I, I worry about it with Kyler because he's smaller. And if you meet him at the line of scrimmage or right before the first down, he's not going to have the inertia to push you back. And we saw that with with Chase Edmonds a little bit and Kyler on the one, the second or wherever he went for the first down and smacked into Byron Jones that and was basically the, went down. That was the big hit on down. third
2: one right before that. I mean,
1: if he, if he's a bigger quarterback, he he hits the cornerback and, and dives forward. So that's why I'm a little hesitant for Kyler dude to do it. And I think running his zone read from shotgun is fine because it's still effective. Um, but yeah, the fact that you have Chris Streveler, I think that's that's a legitimate point.
0: There were at least three times in the game, by the way, being in the front row, not on the sideline, but the front row. So you can kind of see the whole side a little bit better at times. And there's Strebler. (laughs) He's going through this ridiculous warm-up routine at different points in the game. The high knees, he's going up and down. He's sprinting down the sideline. He's dodging the Gatorade bucket in the bench and other equipment guys. And you're thinking, wow, he's getting ready to go in. No, that's just Strebler being the leveler. So, (laughs) you know, and and, and I'm still waiting to see him again in that situation. Darren, what about the other? hot talking point this week, the decision to go for the field goal. Your thoughts on that? Because I know you fielded that question umpteen times.
2: I did. Um, You know, again, I I think that goes back to, you know, some of the things we're just talking about. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury said he was not impacted in his decision to kick the field goal there on the fact that Chase Edmonds was stopped. I think we have to take him at his word. Um, But at the same time, you know, I know all the analytics basically said, You had a much it was much smarter to go for it there than try and kick a 49 yard field goal. Um, That's it's one of those things. It's going to get second guessed all day. The problem the problem they really had was the fact that because they threw the incompletion on third down, there was no timeouts being used. There was plenty of time left for the Dolphins to try and get a field goal, even if the Cardinals had tied it. And the way that game was going and the way the Cardinals defense was playing, you, you have to wonder, especially with a, uh, the kid Sanders kicking for the Dolphins, who looked like he could probably make one from 65 yards. They wouldn't have had to get very close to at least have a chance at, at winning the game. So uh, that's, that's a tough one. I will say this. I know a lot of people didn't like the play call on third down. I disagree. I've watched them run that same passing play a million times down on the goal line and get touchdowns to Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald. Christian Kirk was open. If that throw is anywhere near where Christian Kirk can catch it, he's already at the first down, and it's a first down. It was just a bad throw by Kyler Murray. That happens, um, but I don't have a problem with that call. And ultimately, I don't really have a problem with the field goal try. It didn't work, and that's that's why everybody else has a problem with it.
0: You know that play was right at me uh, in the front row. That 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 okay. miss to Christian Kirk that Darren just referenced there, Kyle and. I tell you what, it looked different on TV than it did in person. It was coming right at me, and there just seemed it was a, there was a degree of difficulty involved in that. Kyler was on a dead sprint, and he almost seemingly had to throw it down the line of scrimmage in a way, and and he had to throw it just beyond the reach of the D lineman, who had penetrated there in the line of scrimmage in the box, but then within reach of Christian Kirk, and he did neither. He threw it at the feet of Christian Kirk. It was a tough pass to be on a dead sprint and try and execute that sort of precision. To me, when I saw it on TV, it looked much easier. So I don't know if that was deceiving one way or the other, but to me, if you're inside the two minute warning and you're trailing, you've got to at least give your, your team a chance to tie, at least give your defense a chance to go out there and and try and force overtime. So I was on board with the decision to go for the field goal immediately. I nodded immediately said, you got to at least give your team a chance to tie it up on the scoreboard because you may not get the ball back. You're inside two minutes. What'd you think?
1: Well, my reputation probably precedes me on this one, but I would have gone for it. I think the fact that you had enough time to score a touchdown and win that game in regulation, if you got the first down is a big deal to me. If there was, 30 seconds left or 20 seconds left, it would have been harder to score. But if you get that first down, there's still plenty of time to win the game in regulation. And if not, the field goal is just easier. So the fact that you have Kyler Murray and his ability to either keep the ball or even if you're handing it off, teams are worried about him keeping it and making it more likely that you convert in short yardage. I think the Cardinals are 75% conversion rate on third or fourth and one when they hand it off this year which leads the NFL. So the fact that they're so good in short yardage to me was another reason why I would have gone for it. And Miami too, when they had fourth and one and they kicked their field goal, I would have gone for that too. So I, I just feel like if you can have, if you have a fourth and one and it really helps you to go for it, I would almost always. So I, I would have leaned toward going for it there.
2: It's funny. You you mentioned that I, again, I know Kingsbury said the Edmonds, uh, fail on fourth down did not impact his last decision. But it is interesting that in both cases, both those fourth and ones that you're saying you would have gone for, both came after Edmonds didn't get there and was fresh in those coaches' minds. And I know you're not supposed to, but we're all human, and you, you, you do wonder if that, if that even subliminally was in there at all for either of those coaches.
0: I'll say this, and whether it was the Kirk incompletion, whether it was Chase Edmonds on the fourth down fail, I'll say this, any time, especially in that game, when Kyler Murray wasn't running the RPO, I think the Dolphins' defense said, thank you. The threat he posed with the RPO, whether to hand it off or pull it and go on his own, and I don't know how the numbers came out in terms of that particular play call, Kyle, but he must have averaged seven to nine yards a pop on the RPO, and and just the threat of him being in the open field against defenders – whether it's third and one, fourth and one, if I'm the Dolphins defense, I'm like, thank you for not calling that play. Because that's how effective I thought that was against the Dolphins.
1: When Kyler kept it, you're right. He was obviously very effective, but we don't know how many times – you did have that zone read option and he gave it to chase that you look at chase's yards per carry. It was 2.8. So they weren't very effective on that side of the zone read. And I don't know exactly how many times they ran it and in, in aggregate, what your yards per carry looked like, but uh, I agree with you. And that's, that's the the one quibble I had with the straight handoff to chase, where maybe if, if there is more of a Kyler threat on that play, the defense is hesitating for maybe just a second to see if Kyler keeps it. And that helps you out. But like Darren said, I mean, if, if you get your blocks right, and I, I think back to the Seattle game when Kenyon Drake ran right up the middle on fourth and one and got the first down, and nobody's questioning that because it was successful, and they're, they've been successful very more often than not this season. It's just in a very key spot, it did not work. Um, but overall, you know, I'm not going to ever – question cliff kingsbury's play calling too much because that's the thing that got him here he got hired because of that he's a a very much a genius when it comes to deciphering what a defense is doing and how to attack it when you just look at how far this offense has come in two years obviously kyler is a big part of that but so is the scheme so i think overall you know cliff kingsbury has this team in a really good spot offensively
2: i i know it was a a one-off and i it's always very dangerous to hear from one or two people and and take it because obviously I don't think this is the majority of people, but I, I, you have people after that game complaining about the play calling, or I actually had one person say he's never called a, a good game overall. And I'm like, I mean, again, you're talking about a team that um, quite frankly, you know, is scoring over you know, almost 30 points a game for the season has been over th- at least 30 points the last four games is, is, is leading the league in yards per game on offense you know, none of these conversations are being had again. And, and I'm not saying I'm not trying to trash the defense here either. But when it comes to the play calling comes to the offense, could they be a little bit better? Are there things that they're going to make mistakes on? Of course. But if, if this defense was just a little bit better, this team would be whatever it would be, seven and one. And nobody would be talking about Cliff Kingsbury and his play calling. Nobody. It just wouldn't happen.
0: Uh, You know, we can get into all the numbers on Kyler right now, but that would be a separate edition. There's so many of Cardinals Underground presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. So how about just the eyeball test? I know, Kyle, this is tough for you. It's tough. You got to get outside (laughs) your comfort zone. No numbers. We don't have time for all the stats. But what words, because you're a wordsmith first, let's remind you, okay, on (laughs) azcardinals.com. what words would you use to describe Kyler right now? Would you start with dominant? Can we go there?
1: Yeah, I think dominance a, a fair word. Uh, to me, I think the the passing game progress, you know, I could give you some numbers, but uh, I guess I'll refrain. The, the fact that they've gotten so much better passing the ball, I think, has been the big leap for Kyler from from the first game of this season. We saw that he was a different type of runner this year, more decisive, more electric and just a handful for defenses. But these last few weeks, I think he's really taken the next step, throwing the ball. And when your yards per attempt, whatever they are, won't say what it is, but when it's high, it's, it's a really good thing for an offense. And, and now they're really putting everything together. So I think the passing game strides that Kyler Murray has made
0: is, is the biggest difference to me. All right. So true or false, his 56-yard strike to Christian Kirk, the best ball he's thrown all year? Because I said that on the air once Wolf was done with his Tasmanian devil, his reaction. Uh, And, you know, if you guys were on the air with me, would you agree or disagree, Darren? Uh,
2: I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful pass, but the one he dropped into DeAndre Hopkins in New York for the touchdown, or even the play before that to DeAndre Hopkins, those were a couple of really pretty passes and even tighter windows. Um, I just know this. Uh, I, I think, all those conversations we were having about Kyler Murray's accuracy seems to have faded over the last few weeks. Yes, indeed. I think um, he has shown, uh, and also all those conversations, including the question that he did not like when I brought up about throwing deep uh, following the Carolina game, and he got a little salty about uh, that being brought up. uh, Those have also been kicked to the curb because they have uh, found plenty of deep shots with Hopkins and with Andy Isabella and and with Christian Kirk, especially. So I just know that he's throwing the ball really, really well. And what really struck me about this past game was uh, against the Dolphins was, I, I, I don't know if I could tell you what was better when he, when he was running the ball or when he was passing the ball. The, the level he was playing at, at both those things was so incredibly high that if you just took a one game sample, Kyle's absolutely right. He's the greatest dual threat quarterback of all time.
0: So you brought up Salty and Kyler. Let's talk about the post-game Zoom press conference. Darren, Darren segued into it. It's not me. It's Darren. Okay. So I mean, if we had an infrared camera instead of a Zoom camera there via the laptop, would you have seen steam coming out of his ears? I mean, what would you say, Kyle? And, And was it because such an epic performance went for naught? Is it because the guy is geared up and his DNA is winning? That's all he's done basically since he was 14 years old until the last couple of seasons. You tell me what exactly was going on post-game in that three and a half minutes or so where Kyler chose his words very carefully, what words he did use. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't think it has to do
1: with him playing a great game and the team losing. I think regardless of his own individual performance, I think he would have been mad with with the way it ended where – They were behind for most of the game. It looked like they were taking control. And then Miami took the lead back and the Cardinals offense had a couple of chances late that they didn't get it done. And then you don't get the kick. Just a lot of things that didn't go your way. And I think the Cardinals knew that winning that game, you get to six and two, you get to first in the NFC West. It's, it's a game changing type win and to not get it. And, and now you're still trailing Seattle and you're kind of in the, the middle of a lot of teams still and, and people are questioning you. I think a lot of it is just coming together. And yeah, certainly he's a very, very competitive kid who, who wanted to win that game. So I, I think all those factors played a role.
2: When, uh, when I was watching it and afterwards, Uh, it reminded me a little bit and, and and we'll laugh at this, but there, I think there's some truth to it, especially knowing his background. And I don't know a lot of Kyler's personal life right now, but football is pretty much all he has right now. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's what his life is. It's, it's, it was football anyways. You know, I can't say if he's involved, you know, with a girlfriend or anything like that. I know he likes to play video games, but this is his life. And when it, when you get so myopic about something, It raises it it reminds me a little bit about if I if I saw my my son my one son who once upon a time when he would play video games and would lose a Madden game or whatever he'd want to chuck the controller or whatever that's what it felt like it felt like that but because he's just a little bit older he could control it just enough he what he wasn't going to chuck the controller but in his head he wanted to chuck that controller so bad and that's that's kind of how I felt like you he, he kind of responded to, to those questions. He, he knows he's got to come out and talk to the media. Um, and and it, all, it was weird because when he first sat down, um, he, seemed, he, he seemed despondent. You know, they lost, but it seemed like he was going to be fine. And then as soon as he heard the first questions start to be asked, it was like a switch got flipped. And it was almost like you could see behind his eyes thinking, I really don't want to do this right now. I really don't want to do this right now. And not because he never wanted to talk to the media, but just in that moment, he wasn't ready. Now he smartly, and I think very maturely, thought very long and hard about his answers. And it, it comes out kind of funny and it was very noticeable. Um, but I wrote after the game, the press conference was filled more with simmering pauses than actual words. And I, and I really believe that. And I, I think ultimately, I I think it goes back to what Kyle said. This dude is so competitive that, again, when you lose, you want to chuck the controller. And when you see a game that you thought you could have won, um, you're not going to have the Jordan Hicks perspective where Jordan Hicks, the veteran who's been around for a few years and says, oh, there's no anger or frustration. We just realized this and that. And I'm thinking, yeah, that wasn't Kyler. There was absolutely anger and frustration. And I just don't think Kyler's quite to that level. He doesn't. He isn't going to have that perspective of having a family or having other things in life. This is his life. And I think ultimately that's probably a good thing in a lot of ways. Uh, and he'll he'll learn to get better with all that. I had no problem with his press conference. He did it. He didn't walk out. He didn't storm out. He didn't, he didn't get mad directly at any of the questions. So if he's going to be short, that's okay. That's a story too.
0: But it is noteworthy that there's a cooling down period and then he was the last player to meet the media there was a significant amount of time and he's still steaming hot uh, to Darren's point and you know I don't think that's a bad thing at least to me there's too many athletes and too many sports we've all covered who uh oh, we'll play one tomorrow oh, we'll get them next week uh, you know this this is what dictates his mood for the rest of the week that three to four hour window not to mention I think he's not only competitive on the scoreboard he's competitive against the opposing quarterback and Tua had a pretty good game And he already lost a semifinal game against Tua in college football, the one year where he hoped to make a national title run. So I think all involved, I I would like to see other players elevate their win-loss intensity to that level. Honestly, uh, to me, there is some leadership there. Just whether it was intentional or not, I think he put on display how badly he wants to win and what he expects out of everyone else when it comes to Sundays and game day and what you have to put on the line to try and win, because we all saw him take some serious shots out there. He easily could have got down or got out of bounds. He put everything out there to try and get that win.
1: I I thought he was smart about that where we've seen it, for so many times that he does, you know, go down and he preserves his body. And the few times that he went for it in this game was when he was right by that first down marker and he knew it was it was third down and he's trying to get it or he knew it was a situation where if if I don't get this, we're in a worse position. So I, I think that type of thing is very good for the Cardinals moving forward where the vast majority of the time he's just going to get down and avoid injury and that's what you want and then in these very select moments when it means more to try to get that first down than to preserve your health he goes for it so I think he figured that out beautifully and even just like the mental part that Darren was talking about when he didn't have that fourth down he wheeled around and he threw that ball to DeAndre Hopkins I thought that was unbelievably smart of him to do and get the offsetting penalties and get another chance at fourth down so the mental jumps he's making too there were times last year in two minute drills when he didn't quite have uh, the right ability to push push the tempo and figure out how to get down the field fast enough so I think he's grown
0: a ton mentally in addition to what he's doing physically in much of that game he had a perfect passer rating yeah, yeah Majanro and myself we were talking about during the course of the game from the Cardinals booth down to the sideline ended up with a passer rating of 150.5 Tua had some really good numbers. But Darren, how much of that had to do with the Cardinals being reduced to their fifth and sixth string corners for much of the game?
2: I mean, what, what's Wolf always say? It's not an excuse. It's a factor or whatever he says. I mean, it's look, you, if you're missing a bunch of key players on defense, you're going to be worse on defense. Now, you can make the argument that against that offense, when they were down all of their running backs and they had a quarterback who was only in his second game second start that you should have been able to do much better than you did and and that's a fair argument to make and i i was surprised Tua was able to be so effective but they came in with a good plan i mean they didn't test patrick peterson a whole bunch early they went after kevin peterson and whoever came in for kevin peterson because they knew they were down to their fourth fifth and sixth cornerbacks which is what you should do. And, and obviously they, you know, on both sides, these, the, the officials were throwing flags It helped the Cardinals in some cases because DeAndre Hopkins got a bunch of flags, but it got to the point where some of these Cardinals defenders were struggling to, they were either going to give up a catch or they're going to get a flag and they smartly did all that stuff. So, and, and I do think Tua made some really good plays. I mean, we're, we're sitting here talking what a great player that Kyler is and there were moments after two starts last year where, I mean, after what we saw at the end of the Detroit game and the Baltimore game, we're like, oh my God, Kyler Murray is going to be a really, really good quarterback. Maybe we're just at the beginning part of that for two. And unfortunately the Cardinals ran into that, but look, you're, you're, you need this defense. You you desperately need Devon Kennard and Byron Murphy to come back from COVID. You need to get Drake Kirkpatrick healthy. You need to work Marcus Golden in who I thought had a fantastic First game for this team, but you need to find some uh, level there, and and, and uh, you, you need to find a way to get off on third downs. And there wasn't enough pressure on Tua, uh, even without. The, and maybe that was because of the coverage, but you got to find a way, blitzes or otherwise, to to make him more uncomfortable than they did most of the time. And from what I saw, his numbers against on plays where the Cardinals didn't blitz were out of this world. And you just figure like maybe they just should have been more, much more aggressive.
0: You know, Tua was impressive. There's no doubt about it. For me, Kyle, for quarterbacks that come out of big-time programs, elite college programs with so much talent, so many draft picks, I'm always curious if they can throw into windows, tight windows in the NFL, because they're so used to throwing to wide-open receivers at the. The college Matt
2: Leinart program. effect, Paul. There you you're, go. you're, You got PTSD, baby. Yeah,
0: you're you're, you're you're absolutely right. I'm having flashbacks as we speak. You're 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 absolutely right on that because. Nobody had wide open receivers during his college career like Matt Leiner throwing to guys at USC against Pac-12 competition. You're you're, you're absolutely right on that. But Tua put some balls right on the money, despite the fact he was going against backups. I mean, Devondre Campbell was on the hip pocket of a tight end, and there was a big-time catch. And So even with Byron Murphy and some of the other regulars, if they would have been in that game, I think it would have made a difference, no doubt. But I think we also would have come away, at least I did, from that game, that you know what, Tua has a bright future in the NFL.
1: I don't want to sound like a huge Tua hater, but I wasn't as impressed as everybody else in that game. The, the Dolphins averaged 5.6 yards per play, which is pretty average. I mean, it's it was a good showing all things considered for Miami and its offense, but I don't, I'm not ready to claim Tua as this next great thing like I did with Kyler earlier in the podcast. We'll see how it goes, but I do think not having three of your top four cornerbacks is a really big deal. That's arguably the most important position on the field defensively. And when you, when you have subpar talent level and also new guys who you're trying to figure out communication with, it's just tough defensively in that sort of situation. So I'll see how Tua does the rest of the year. And what he did in college was really good, and he's clearly got talent. But I want to see how it goes the rest of the season for him.
0: I just looked at what was around him. They came in as a one-dimensional offense without much of a running game down their top two running backs. They had a bunch of receiving threats you've never heard of before. So it impressed me that he definitely put that offense on his back. And then there's something about when you play against Kyler Murray that I think it inspires the opposing quarterback to use the legs a little bit. We saw Russell Wilson in the first half of the game against the Cardinals, and we saw Tua take off and run a few times. So he has that element to his game, but, Darren mentioned Marcus Golden. I'll say this. You know when I truly knew Marcus Golden was back as an Arizona Cardinal? It, it wasn't the sack that was reversed on the lucky photo face, face mask. It wasn't the sack that, that counted. It wasn't even when Pat P and Buda Baker got the defense together late first half and had a players only meeting. And then Marcus Golden finished it off in vocal fashion. It was one at the end of the game. The Dolphins are in victory formation. And Marcus Golden wasn't having any of it. And he started a, he started a near brawl with about three guys on, on a Miami's offensive line during victory formation. That's what I knew 44 was back for good.
2: Would have been nice to have, if Marcus Golden would have had a post-game press conference, how that would have sounded, right? <laughs>
0: that's right. Um, but, yeah, that's, you know, so if you get Devon Kennard back, you get Byron Murphy back, you can get some of that rotation. You know, we didn't, we didn't hear Hassan Reddick's name called – during this game for for whatever reason. I don't know if you guys talked to anyone about that or went back and looked at any of the film, but did, dare I say, did he get extra attention? Hassan Reddick come in as the Cardinals leading sack guy.
1: I didn't really pay that close of attention. I agree with you that he didn't have the same type of game that he did against the Seahawks. And clearly Marcus Golden was the guy who was getting the most, consistent pressure on Tua and he had like you said the sack the one that didn't count and then he had the play where he got right around the edge and missed Tua on another potential sack um, but yeah I mean you need Hassan Reddick to be that consistent force on the other side and maybe Hassan Reddick is more valuable against the mobile quarterbacks who when they're scooting out he's got that speed to catch them When he's in the pocket, maybe Hassan Reddick doesn't have that refined pass rushing type moves quite yet. So we'll see how it goes with him. But I think you need Hassan Reddick to give you something because Marcus Golden will and we'll see when Devon Canard can get back. But that trio, you want to have consistent pressure from them.
2: Yeah. And if you were having issues in terms of of making Tua uncomfortable, what happens against Josh Allen, who is way more experienced, is having a very good season. Uh, and this Bills offense is just way better than what the Dolphins bring to town. So that's, that's a little bit of a frightening thought when you talk about where this defense is right now and what they're about to face.
0: I mean, what Buffalo did to Seattle's defense, uh, Pete Carroll was at a complete loss after the game to explain the loss. He said, we prepared and had a great plan to go against the run. One problem, they didn't run the ball, basically. They came out and threw it. They raced to an early 17-0 lead. Josh Allen, 31 to 38 off the top of my head, 415, three passing touchdowns, had a rushing touchdown. He has the same number of touchdowns as Kyler. Kyler at 16 and 8, passing and rushing. Josh Allen's 19 and 5, uh, passing and rushing. Uh, this this will be very interesting. The Josh Allen is back to his early season MVP form, Kyle. And Josh Allen's interesting because he's a very
1: high ceiling, low floor type player and sometimes on a week to week basis. And he could very well come in and, and dominate you and the bills. If that happens will probably come away with the win. And on the other side, he's can be inaccurate at times and he's had some clunkers this season. So if you're the Cardinals defense, there's also the possibility there, especially if you get your cornerbacks back on the field, you can have a pretty good day against him. So I think it's important to have a good plan for what you want to do against this Buffalo offense. And, um, and then you just have to hope that Josh Allen is having one of those bad days <laughs> instead of one of those good days.
2: It'll be interesting to see because uh, watching some of the analysis before the Seattle game, uh, basically saying that they thought one of the reasons Josh Allen had that a bumpy stretch that he did was because he had hurt his left shoulder and it was affecting his throwing and that he was basically healthy now. And that I think it was Matt Hasselbeck who actually predicted he was going to have a huge day against the Seahawks. And he did. So if if his issues had to do with an injury that is now healed, that's a little bit of a scary thing. I will say this uh, because you never want to miss a chance at saying something about the Seahawks that's negative. But um, I, I saw a stat as they're now halfway through the season That their pass defense after the Buffalo game now, they are on pace to not only set the NFL record for most passing yards allowed in a season, but break it by more than a 1,000 yards. Oh, no. Are you serious? I mean, they are like, I don't even want to say historically bad against the pass. I mean, they are, I don't even know what that's called, because historically bad would be just setting the record. But they... I think the record somewhere is just a little north of 4,000 or something, and they're going to give—they're on pace to give up more than 5,000 passing yards this season. <laughs> now we'll we'll see as they get a couple guys back. Their is banged up, and we'll see who's there for the Cardinals on a short week after this Bills game. But uh, that's what the Bills were playing against last week. So you know, and the other thing too about the Bills—they gave up some points to a very good Seattle offense. But the way the Cardinals are playing offense, this just feels like it's gonna be another one of those games. It's gonna be high scoring for both teams and hopefully the Cardinals can come up with enough stops.
0: I feel bad because earlier I asked Kyle to leave the numbers out of it. So here's one for Kyle. Okay, as we wrap up this edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. The Cardinals enter Sunday's game against Buffalo, having posted 30 plus points and 400 plus total yards in each of their last four games. The last team to have a longer streak of doing 30 points, 400 plus total yards, the Broncos in 2012, 10 straight when the Broncos did that wonder if they played the 2012 New Orleans Saints because they had the epic worst defense ever until this latest Seahawks iteration that 2012 Saints team is saying thank you for the Seahawks allowing so many yards and, and points this year getting them off the hook but. Look, this Cardinals offense has been consistently posting big numbers. It looks like it's here to stay, which is – I'm guessing you agree, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, it
1: certainly seems to be that's the case. And pro football focus, I think, says that since from week five to nine, the Cardinals have the top – expected points added per play which is similar to what you're saying the best offense in the NFL these last four or five weeks so it's it's been a really good turn of events and like I talked about earlier the passing game has really come along and if they sustain it then the Cardinals are legitimately one of the best teams in the NFC if that happens and a lot of people are trying to discount the Cardinals especially after losing to the Dolphins but I just feel like this is a very legitimate team in the NFC I think they're they're headed toward the playoffs unless something really bad happens. And, and we've talked about the weaknesses of the Seahawks. The Bucs just had a really bad game against the saints. I mean, you look around the NFC and is there a clear dominant team like the chiefs? Not really. So I'm not saying the Cardinals are the best team in the NFC, but I, I think they're right in that mix with everybody else.
2: Wait, wait, wait. You So you're willing to say Kyler's the best dual threat quarterback ever, but you can't say the Cardinals are the best in the NFC.
0: Correct. <laughs> It's a team game. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to leave. Everyone can leave in their own fashion. I'm going to leave with a a little bit. I'm not going to necessarily call it a reality check, but a little bit of a warning, if you will. You get Buffalo coming to town, and they're rolling. You then go on the short week. You're the road team on Thursday night. Seahawks want blood, and you don't have the 12s to feed off in that building where you've won five of your last six because basically it's you against the world. You still have to cold weather road trips potentially in the Giants and Patriots. And you have two games against the Rams team where you've never beaten their head coach. So I I like the position the Cardinals in and they're five and three, but there's also some serious obstacles straight ahead in the remainder of the second half of this schedule that at least has my attention. I don't know how you guys and how you guys feel about what's left, I like where the Cardinals are at, but if they're not careful, there's quite a bit that could go wrong over the second half of the year.
2: Yeah, but I guess ultimately I think there's so much that could also go right. I mean, none of those games the, – the Rams have a fairly decent defense, although it seems like they're, they're days when they also get a clunker. But other than those two Rams games, what what defenses are they playing that's going to scare you at this point? Um I'm I, again, I'm not saying that they can't hit a roadblock and they can't, they can lose those games. You're absolutely correct. But they could also win a lot of them. And
0: you know, my answer, my answer to that would be, you know, the defense that scares me would be the Cardinals defense. If they're not consistent in the energy and the intensity, honestly, that, that yeah. that's my bigger fear.
2: Again, I'm going to go back to the same thing that I've said on this podcast, not this podcast, this episode of the podcast, but this Cardinals underground podcast over the whole summer. I know I said it multiple times, which is, This offense is going to be really good. The defense just needs to be average and this team will get a lot of wins. If the defense is average, there are times when the defense isn't quite average and it's cost them a couple of times. And that's what we've got to see the rest of the way. And and when you feed in all the other equations of what we're facing, which is spiking in COVID cases, not only in the, in the world, but also among the NFL and losing key players here and there, like the Cardinals did last week with Devon Kennard and, um, and Byron Murphy. I, I mean, knock on wood. We don't want to have a, a week where or the Leveler is playing quarterback, Paul. <laughs> we
0: we don't. Let me, let me hear that. So, well, we, okay you yeah, might. Sure about that? Okay.
1: All right. It's well, it, well, when you look at the NFL. I mean, I think the Dolphins game is a great example because the Cardinals box score wise probably should have won that game, and you you factor in a defensive touchdown and the the 56 yard field goal and the 50 yard field goal, and you missed a 49 yarder. So the Cardinals did not win that game and you add up too many of those in the NFL. And that's really going to hurt you in a 16 game season. But when you talk about talent level alone, I mean, I see your point, Paul, there are roadblocks in the second half of the season, but a cold weather game against the giants doesn't mean you're not going to be favored. I mean, you're, you're the team that should win that game. If new England keeps playing like this, you're going to be favored in new England and The Cardinals could very well go three and five and finish eight and eight because the NFL is kind of random like that. But when you talk about overall talent level, I think this team is right up there. They have the best point differential in the NFC right now. As much flack as the defense is taking, they're number 10 in football outsiders' defensive efficiency. There aren't very many holes on the Cardinals. So I think you can lose games in close fashion, and maybe that changes the perception. But when you talk about Baseline of talent, I think the Cardinals have a good team. And the defense is
0: capable. Don't get me wrong. The defense has enough talent, in, in my opinion. I, I think my final words will just be repeating the words of Vance Joseph. It was in the most recent edition of Cardinals' flight plan. And I forget which game it was, but it's the one time this year where he had an entire defensive team meeting on the sideline during a game, the D coordinator, Vance Joseph. And he essentially said, Look, guys, the mistakes are on me, the efforts on you. And I like that quote because the effort as an intensity and focus, which are a couple of words that were uttered on that sideline, uh, you know, against against the Dolphins in that game, you know, that has varied. It has wavered at times. And so if they can dial that in over the second half, I do have an abundance of confidence in the Cardinals defense. I think we just need to see it on a, on a regular basis, game in, game out, series to series. That's I guess my final point on this one is I should probably go back to queuing up some game film of Kyler and trying to catch the ball like DeAndre Hopkins and showing that to my 14-year-old. So you know, <laughs> it's the only thing more frustrating is why I can't turn that. In. So there you go, Kyle. All right. You, know, uh, you got did you get enough numbers in this edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. At least you feel satisfied. I had to really jam him in all those other
1: questions because that one, you made me not answer it with any numbers and that hurt my soul, but I tried to I tried to do a good job on the rest of them.
2: I will say that when, when that all came up, I'm looking at Kyle on this Zoom call and I'm thinking a lot more simmering pauses than actual words there.
0: <laughs> That's right. If you want simmering pauses out of Kyle, just take the numbers out of the equation. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And that'll do it for Cardinals Underground.